everyone. Welcome back to the Courage Conversation Show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter, and we have an amazing guest for you tonight. We are going to be interviewing Lori Peters, who is a licensed therapist. I have known her for, I don't know, a couple years now, and she is just such a brilliant um a brilliant therapist has a lot of beautiful things to say, and I cannot wait to introduce her to you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read her bio before I bring her on to the show. Lori Peters is a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania, a resilience coach, and a writer. Her counseling specialties are trauma, mood disorders, and grief and loss. As a therapist, she's worked with dozens of children's of children, teens, and adults who have experienced various levels of trauma, including child abuse, domestic violence, spiritual abuse, and complicated grief issues. In her coaching work, Lori helps women who have overcome traumatic or challenging situations and are looking to discover their next purpose through individual coaching, dream interpretation, and writing groups. Her writing includes experience as a formal journalist, and she is right now working on a project um, around meditation for um, survivors, I believe. So I'm really excited to invite Lori onto the show. Without further ado, hey, Lori, thanks so much for being Hi. here. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for having me, Ashley. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I am super excited to chat with you. And um, I I was just telling you before we got on live, like, I love your background. It's just so pretty with all the little flowers and <laughs> things. Oh, thank so, you. So thank pretty. you. It's part of my heritage here. So. That's amazing. I love it. And um, you, you are just such a bright light in my life um, over the past year Aww. or so. And I am super excited for everybody here to get to know you. Today, we're going to be focusing on support systems. And when you brought up this topic, I was like, yes, this is great for our survivor advocate community. And so let's just kind of jump right into it. So okay. let's talk support systems. All right. Let's <laughs> um, get into it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what, what would you say is a support system and why is it important? I think a lot of people talk about having a support system, but... I don't think everybody knows exactly what a good support system should look like. So maybe talk a bit about that. Great question. Well, as I see it, an emotional support system is a container that creates a space for you to be vulnerable, to be authentic, and to be safe, especially psychologically and emotionally. Um, and the, the support system itself can look many different ways, but the key component I see in it is a space that creates that level of emotional safety so you can be vulnerable because without vulnerability, we cannot recover, heal, we cannot navigate challenges. Mm, right. I love that so much. It reminds me um, a lot about some of the things Brene Brown has said about vulnerability and just how yes. it does take so much courage. And that's what we're all about here is courage. And um, we shouldn't just be vulnerable to anyone. Um, you know, there's, right. like you said, having this support system of people that we can trust. Um, so that's, that's all super, super helpful. And, you know, I feel like maybe that 
there are different layers to a support system and you know different people maybe have different roles to play and i wondered if you could talk about that and your opinions on you know what a healthy support system is composed of what different layers might be there and um yeah just how that could look different for each person yeah well you know the first thing that people probably think of when they think of support is family and friends and that is definitely a layer um you know that that group of people knows you intimately um, for a long time, typically, um, uh, you know, has seen you at your best and at your worst. Um, another layer of support would be like an intimate partner, um, whether it's a spouse or significant other. And then you have your um, therapeutic types of support, like a mental health professional, maybe a peer specialist, someone who can help you with whatever challenges or struggles that you have. Um, and then you have, you know, if you work, you have your work support system mm. as well. So depending on your circumstance and your situation, um, you can see various levels of support there. Mm, that makes sense. And in a minute, I would love to kind of focus on talking a bit about like professional support but I'd like to, before we get into that, maybe kind of dive into some of those layers that you mentioned, like at work and, you know, with family and a significant other and friends and those types of things. And, um, you know, what, what, what do you think is reasonable to expect of people who are in some of those layers of support? Like what is it reasonable to expect of a support system at work or friends or family? Because I think there are some people who, um, one of two things could happen. One, they could rely on that um, non-professional support level so much to a point where maybe it's not healthy for everybody involved. Um, yes. because yes. it's not professional, but then on another end of the spectrum, maybe those people who should be a support system really are not supportive at all. And, you know, a person can start to think, well, what's wrong with me? Um, so maybe talk about maybe some expectations of what it would look like for, you know, friends, family, workplace support, what what kind of is reasonable to expect what's a healthy level of support and maybe when to know when this is not like a safe person to confide in? Um, I think it speaks to your, your level of self-awareness. Mm. Um, what has been your past history as far as relating to people, whether it's personally or professionally, um, especially personally, because um, I have found in my work and in my own life that the patterns that get established with familial, with um, platonic relationships tend to be replicated in other areas of our life. Mm. So if something happens, whether it's positive or negative, as we're growing up, um, we kind of incorporate that unconsciously. And we tend to replicate that in any relationship we have thereafter. So that's why it's important to have a solid caregiving structure in place because of the consequences that can happen. Um, mm. Sadly, I've seen, you know, the consequences of, of negative caregiving, what happens mm. when you don't receive that. So I think, um, you know, the, the level of respect and awareness 
involved in that is, is probably one, one of the first things to look for. Um, another uh, thing to look at is the level of emotional safety. Mm-hmm. Is the support system in place um, a place where you can be yourself, where you can express yourself, where you can be authentic and vulnerable? If you find that you cannot be that way, even within your own family, then that's something for you to take a look at and mm. see, you know, do I need to make a change here? Um, yeah. Have I answered your question? Yeah, I think so. That that makes sense. So kind of when you're looking for a support system, it, it almost seems like you need to test the waters a little bit. Like, first of all, yeah. just being self-aware of how you relate with people and how they relate to you, but then mm-hmm. kind of, you know, maybe testing with a little bit of vulnerability to see um, if that is a safe thing to do before maybe you put everything, you know, all your yes. eggs in that one basket. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And what it is would a lot be... of experimentation. Right. Yeah. Right. And what would be some signs if people in your life are not, you know, a safe support system? What would be maybe some red flags of people that traditionally you'd think, oh, this person should have my back, but maybe they're displaying certain things that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. aren't safe? Well, lack of respect. Um, if your opinions and thoughts are not heard, um, if they're invalidated, those mm-hmm. indicate a lack of respect. That's, that's a huge red flag for me right. to look for. Um, whether the relationship is reciprocal, Mm. um, is it a one-sided relationship or are both parties giving and receiving? Got it. Um, a lot of, um, people who have suffered trauma tend to find themselves in relationships that are one-sided, typically with emotionally Mm. unavailable people. And that lays the foundation for a lot of boundary work. Um, right survivors from trauma tend to overcompensate because they are trying to feel fill the void they are wanting to be loved to be cared for that they weren't you know um, when the trauma happened so it, it's really important for them to to look for boundaries to, to be mindful of the boundaries and to be respectful of, you know not only what they're feeling but how was the other person respecting how they're feeling so lo- looking for things like that, um, you know, respect, the level of reciprocity in the relationship, the level of validation or invalidation mm. in the relationship as well. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know for myself, um, as I've come out of, you know, really toxic environments, there were some people in my life that I really um, believe should have been a safe support system, but some of those red flags came up, you know, it wasn't respected when I talked about what happened to me. It wasn't validated that those things were wrong, even though they clearly were. And, um, you know, I realized that some of those people couldn't be in my support circle, like I wished they were. And some of them to a point where I even just had to kind of cut off the relationship entirely because it, it wasn't even just that they had a lack of support, but there was, you know, a sort of an active toxicity, um, to it. Um, yeah, Yeah. that, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. And so friends and family, you know, if you can find healthy relationships with them, that is really great. And it's a, a wonderful blessing if somebody has that, 
But I've also seen some survivors say, you know, well, I have friends. I don't need a therapist. I just talk to my girlfriends or my guy friends or, you know, my mom, you know, or my spouse always has my back, you know. Um, do you think that's a good way to go about it? Um, do you think that's a complete um, support network? Or do you think that professional support also needs to be a layer? In all honesty, that's a valid point. Not everyone needs therapy. Um, but I would say that if you're finding that you are finding yourself in situations and circumstances that are repeating patterns that aren't healthy for you, mm. that lead you to negative consequences in your life, that impair your ability to live your life to the, your fullest potential, then it might be time to seek another perspective. And that's something that family and friends, while they may love you, don't always see things in a way that could be helpful to you. Right. Their opinions tend to be subjective. And that's the role of a therapist. Um, a therapist is not your friend, mm. but they are someone who can provide a safe container, a safe space for you to explore and for the therapist to bring up things objectively that perhaps you haven't considered. So it's, um, it's an opportunity to gain new insight mm. that perhaps your family and friends can't give you otherwise. Right. That makes sense. And I'm also thinking that, you know, there can come a point where even if your friends and family say that they're still wanting to support you, if you begin bringing certain topics to them, expecting them to help you fix them when they're not qualified to do that, that could maybe in the long term not be healthy for the relationship and put stress where you're kind of expecting someone to offer something that they're not qualified to offer. And even if they want to, you know, it, they're, they're not going to know the, the solutions focused answers like, you know, a therapist or other mental health professional might. And I, I think it needs to be mentioned that sometimes our family and friends are the source of our distress. Mm. Um, perhaps we're in the stage that where we don't want to admit that. Right. So we're stuck in that cycle thinking everything's okay. But yeah. getting that outside perspective may make us realize that hmm, perhaps I'm not engaging in a healthy way with the people in my life. Mm. So that, that's something to be mindful of as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of our listeners, they've had struggles with family, whether that is that's where abuse is perpetrated or maybe abuse wasn't perpetrated by family, but family, you know, decided not to support them or believe them when they talk exactly. about their abuse. And um, yeah, that can be a really painful thing. Um, and, you know, if you if you were to kind of look at somebody who maybe is coming out of a situation like that where they're realizing that maybe their lay support system, like the non-professionals in their life, maybe isn't everything that they need, whether that's because those people aren't supportive or maybe they are, but they can only help to a certain extent. What would be some of the first steps to finding a therapist that could really step into that role? What are some tips for finding a good quality therapist? Well, the first step in my mind is to gauge your level of readiness mm. or stepping into that space where you have to be vulnerable, where you have to share. Because if you're 
going into it thinking that if there's any level of resistance in that, it's going to be that much harder for you and for the mental health professional mm. to help you move forward in the way that you want to. So right. gauging whether you're even ready for therapy and probably as part of that, investigating what therapy is. Um, you know, what we see in the media about therapy isn't really what it is. Right. So, you know, educating yourself about what counseling and therapy is. Got it. Um, the second step would be finding a licensed professional, mm -hmm. um, specifically someone who's well-versed in whatever challenge you're face facing. Right. Um, for your audience, um, most of your audience has been victim of spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. So I would say finding a counselor who's well-versed, not only in trauma, but in religious-based trauma, spiritual mm -hmm. trauma. Um, I'm not aware of any databases that would have that. Perhaps you are. But just asking the question, the practitioner, the question, I know you specialize in trauma, but how about religious trauma? Right. Um, I know in my area there aren't too many professionals who are trained in that, who are well-versed in that. Mm. So that, that's really important. Right. Um, the third step, I would say, would be to be prepared to do the work. Um, because therapy is work. If you yeah. want to make any lasting and healthy changes, it's going to require a lot of work on your part. Yeah. The therapist is not going to do the work for you, nor should they. That's not their job. Mm -hmm. um, their job is to help you find the best solution for yourself yeah. and to encourage you to do the work. So to just be prepared for that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And what you were talking about with like the portrayals of therapists in the media, I think that is something important to discuss. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I know the portrayals that I had seen was, you know, people are just like laying on a couch, kind of talking <laughs> up at the ceiling, you know, and interestingly, all of my therapists have had couches, but I've never laid down. <laughs> I've never had a couch in my office. You won't find one there. <laughs> yes, that is that is the the stereotype. If if you, I'm dating myself here, but if you ever watch the show Frasier, people yeah, have yeah. that view of what a mental health professional is. Um, I can tell you that that's not really the case. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, therapists are meant to help you. And there are various approaches that they use to help you do that. Mm. Now, when everyone thinks of Freud, but that's a, that's an approach. Not every therapist right. knows psychoanalysis, Freudian mm -hmm. approach. Um, personally, I am more trauma-focused, cognitively based. Right. Um, I throw in a little Viktor Frankl in there. I got a little mm -hmm. bit of existential and go on going on. But um, you know, different therapists use different approaches to help mm. you for whatever whatever challenge that you're facing. Um, so that that's why it's important to do the education to figure okay. out okay, you know, not only the basics of where are you located, do you take my insurance, et cetera, mm -hmm. but also how do you approach therapy? What's your philosophy? Um, you know, how will sessions run? Yeah. Um, you know, I always encourage my clients to come up with questions and, you know, because really they're in charge of the process. Yeah, and yeah. it's important. It, it's something that they need to be invested in and to mm -hmm. make sure that the practitioner they choose is important is relatable to them is the right yeah. fit um, because regardless of the approach the most important part of the counseling um, 
session is the relationship between the mm. client and the therapist, right? Regardless of the modality. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And you you were just talking about asking the questions and how the you know client is kind of the one in charge of of that. I think that's so important because I think. Um, I think this is lessening a little bit in the medical field and um, in the you know psychology field. But for a while, I think there was such an imbalance of power where people looked at those who'd gotten that education almost like a god, and like they yes. they know all the answers. Yes. But you live in your body, you know yourself, and obviously yes. you're going to professional because. Ooh, amen. <laughs> preach it. Preach it. Yes. yes. You're going to a professional because they know some things that you don't know, but also like you're the one paying the bill or at least your insurance is, which, you know, you're paying for your insurance. And so choose somebody like they're working for you. (laughs) You're not working for them. And so, yeah, you've got to find something that feels good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's good that you mentioned the power differential, Ashley, Mm. because with religious abuse, that is inherent in the abuse. Yeah, you have yeah. you know the difference in power, and it's very easy to kind of fall into a similar situation mm. if you choose the wrong therapist. Right. Um, so that's something for abuse victims to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. To you be aware that there is a power differential there, so to speak, in that you're right. going to an expert to help yeah. you but also being mindful that the power lies within you as the client, Mm. as the survivor, and not to put all your hopes and aspirations and dreams into a therapist or a practitioner. Right, right. And if a therapist or practitioner, because many of them are good, good people that are really helping the world, but there's a few out there that are not safe people. And if they are causing you to you know, be in a position where you're, you're not able to listen to your intuition. You're not able to, you know, um, have healthy boundaries. That's certainly a, a red flag and not someone you want in your support system. Um, yes. Yeah. And if you don't find the right fit, you can set yourself up to be re-traumatized. Mm, so. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, now we've talked a little bit about, you know, therapists and, you know, lay people who are supportive but maybe you can just talk about maybe some of your top three tips for people just starting with creating their support system, like how to find people, how to, um, you know, it, like, is this something that they need to text the person every morning? You know, like what are some right, natural right. ways to build a support system? And maybe if you had any ideas for those who maybe don't have friends and family who are close to them, like in a physical sense, you know, maybe some um, ways that they can, can build, build a support system. Yeah. Okay. So, um, my three tips I would say is awareness that you need a support system. Mm. Um, humans are built for connection and we feed off the energy and the insight and the love and connection that we receive from others. So awareness that you need that. The second one would be an assessment as to where you are relationally. Look around you at who's who's in your tribe, who's in your group. Are they supportive of you or aren't they? And if the answer is no, they're not supportive, are you willing to take the steps necessary to change that? Not everyone is. Mm. 
Um, the third step would be to test and experiment the boundaries. You know, um, seek out people that you think have are like-minded. Um, you know, find people who are in the same wave, wavelength as you are, and see if they're trustworthy. You know, mm-hmm. just give, just give them enough to seek to test whether they're trustworthy or not, and kind of play with those boundaries a little bit to build that level of trust. And if you find that no, they're not the right person for you, it, sometimes it falls to listening to your gut. Mm-hmm. You know, feeling that energy. If it feels like they're not the right person for you, then move on to somebody else. Um, as far as people who currently don't have a support system, the internet is a wonderful resource, but by the same, by the same token, being mindful that the person behind the camera, behind the keyboard may not be the person you think they are. Right. And just to display the same level of boundaries as you would in real life. Yeah. Um, there is power in finding people who have gone through similar experiences, but you have to be safe. And that's true for real life experiences as well. That makes sense. Yes. Yes. I love that. And so it's sort of like becoming aware, assessing the circle of people that you already have around you. And then if you are stepping out to, you know, create a larger support circle, then using those boundaries, trusting your gut, using some testing, and that can either be done in person or online. That's that's really a great synopsis of, of finding a support system. And I know for myself, I found um, other people in person that have had very similar experiences to mine, and that's been great. But probably my biggest support system, other than like my therapist, my husband, that type of thing, really has been an online community. So I hope people don't um, don't belittle an online community community because you can find some great people there. Again, you need to do it safely, like you were saying, Lori. Yes. But I found my best friend, you know, online, and you know, we've been friends for like five years or more, and. Um, we talk, you know, every week. And so it, it really can be a valuable place. It's sort of like online dating, you know, sometimes. <laughs> exactly. It is. There, but... it is. You have to kiss a few frogs before you get to your prince right. princess, right? So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, Lori, this is so helpful. And I know that everybody tuning in is going to want to follow your work now. And um, yeah, thank you for suggesting all of these ideas about creating a safe support system, if they want to kind of get to know you better in our audience, where can they follow you? Where can they find your work? Well, I'm on all the socials, but probably the best place to get a feel for who I am and what I stand for would be to go to my website, which is www.lori, spelled L-O-R-I, the letter A, peters.com. And you'll, you'll find out, you know, who I am a little bit, what I offer and, and how I can support you. Absolutely. You have a lot of beautiful services there. Also, you do dream interpretations, which is really yes, cool. I, do. Yes. I know people who experience trauma often have dreams that enlighten and, you know, um, help them process trauma. So that's a, a really beautiful gift that you offer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for this. I love having you as a part of my community and oh, great. <laughs> support system. It's beautiful. And yeah, we um, we will definitely have everybody check those out. The links will be in the description wherever you're watching this video. And everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, follow Lori on all the social media platforms. Check out her website, but also check out the Courage 365 social media. So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can follow us in all of those places. And then if you are in a situation where you are in imminent danger, if you know or suspect child abuse, please, please, please reach out to the authorities for help and support. But for other cases, if you're just looking for supportive websites, supportive blogs, hotlines, those types of things, you can go to our website, courage365.org and click the need help tab. And we have a long list of supportive blogs, websites, and hotlines just for you. And just for visiting our website, you can download our free ebook, Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage to help you take the next most courageous steps in your healing journey. We have a couple of exciting things that we have just put into place as a nonprofit and that is that you can find the back episodes of Courage Conversations not only on our website and on YouTube, but we're also putting them into podcast format and you can search for us wherever you get your podcasts. It is really our goal as an organization to help you live every day with courage. So thank you so much for tuning in and live with courage.